0: This is FortiCast, the podcast about Fortinet technology. I'm your host, Alexa Rowe. We have a special FortiCast today here at headquarters, and I'm joined by some special guests for our quarterly security roundtable. Jeanette, why don't you introduce yourself first?
1: Hi, Alexa. Thanks for having me. My name is Jeanette Jarvis, and I am director of product marketing for FortiGuard Labs, which is our threat intelligence and research arm of Fortinet. Derek? Derek?
2: Hey, Derek Menke, Chief of Security Insights. I work obviously with the Cyber Threat Alliance, or Global Threat Alliances, following cybercrime. Not only cybercrime, but also looking at uh, advanced persistent threats in terms of targeted attacks, the low and slow attacks, which I think we'll be uh, talking about today. Good to be here.
0: I'm Jonathan. Hey,
3: thanks for having me. My name is Jonathan Nguyen, I'm a Vice President in Product Marketing. I work on applying the 4 security fabric to all things digital transformation, fourth industrial revolution, and, and some of those low and advanced uh, threats. <laughs>
0: and more to come about that. Yeah. So thanks, Jeanette, Derek, and Jonathan. Today, we're going to be talking about the need for speed in security. And of course, the number one question today is why is the need for speed in cybersecurity? Jeanette, do you want to tackle this one first?
1: Sure, thank you. Well, first, I can take that question from really two points of view. The first is from the cybersecurity vendor point of view, the defender. As a cybersecurity company, we must be able to provide detection protection capabilities at the speed of light because that's our business, right? We need to protect and detect our customers at all times. And with the sheer volume of threats that we see today, it's very challenging and we still can't miss anything. The digital transformation is creating this sheer volume of IoT devices that are being developed and deployed without security in mind, Mm -hmm. and many of them are vulnerable. And we have to make sure that we're one step ahead of the bad actors in protecting and defending against any vulnerabilities and attacks against those kind of devices. And from this, the second point of view I would take is the need for speed from the customer point of view. I would say that inputting timely control measures, it can make the difference between having an outbreak or a breach Mm -hmm. or not. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that customers have an integrated and broad defensive fabric in place so that they can be protected at the speed of light.
0: Dirk, what do you think about the need for
1: speed and security today?
0: Yeah,
2: I mean it's it's vastly different, isn't it? I mean, I've been, you know, following this for well over fifteen years, so it's vastly different, obviously, compared to fifteen years ago. If we look at why we need the need for speed today, um, several reasons, right? So and we can talk about this in a little bit more detail coming up, but threats are moving incredibly quick today. There's a lot of reasons for that. We release our uh, quarterly landscape reports, our 40-guard minute, as we call it. So we have over 5 million firewalls shipped, 400,000-plus customers. We have a good pulse on intelligence globally. And we're seeing, uh, as an example, on a quarterly basis, about 10 million hacking attempts just in one minute. That's
1: insane.
0: And and
2: that number keeps – you know, it was 8 million the quarter before. It's going to be probably 12 to 13 million the next quarter. It just keeps going up. And and that's no surprise. It's up and to the right. They're becoming more sophisticated. So that's what's happening on the adversary side. It's very noisy. So obviously – with that amount of volume coming, knocking on your doorstep from an organization, it's very important to be able to defend against that edge-to-edge protection, all the way from, uh, you know, from the endpoint up to the cloud, being able to tackle that with speed um, because these threats are very quick. Humans are slow <laughs> by nature. We can't, you know, we need humans. They're trusted. We need them in our security operation operations centers. But relying on automation, relying on interoperability, relying on integrated and actionable intelligence is is key today. Without that, you're going to be losing the war. That's, that's what we're up against on a day-to-day basis.
1: Well, what we need to do is fight the adversary's aggressive drive with our own aggressive drive. Mm. Jonathan?
3: Every time I think about the need for speed, somehow I feel that I'm walking down the flight line in Miramar. And I don't know <laughs> if I'm Maverick or if I'm Goose, right? But, I'm, <laughs> but I get that. You're and Maverick. all things involving se- security right now, uh, the three mega trends were the disappearance and lack of relevance of perimeters greater complexity, and of course the acceleration in all things that that we do in digital transformation. Mm -hmm. And so as we think about how we're moving business processes, everything becomes accelerated. The intervals between gathering, generating, correlating, actuating on that data becomes more accelerated. Uh, they need to keep pace with those business processes and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But at the heart of this is this notion around business outcomes and the desire and the demand by digital natives, both individuals and companies, for greater acceleration. Acceleration in everything from purchase ideation through actual consumption and post-purchase, omni-channel engagement with the customer, accelerating that process, generating vast amounts of data in tighter and tighter times, more compression. And the challenge, as Jeanette alluded to, is how are you going to keep pace with that? Mm -hmm. Because if security doesn't keep pace Mm -hmm. with business operations and the business outcome side of the house, it becomes less and less relevant. I think every CISO, every operator, every threat investigator Mm -hmm. has two angels and a devil on his or her shoulder. One is the outcome, the business outcome, which always trumps the other one says, no, 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 you have to secure it first. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that our founder and CEO said recently, this third generation of security where security really can't be thought of as bolted on. And that we stop, need to stop thinking of networking first where we're connecting what used to be flat architectures, static environments. Now, the, the whole approach towards networks needs to be thought of as an ecosystem in which connectivity and networking are, are are central, of course, but security is just as an integral component of that. And with that, of course, is speed because that ecosystem is now moving towards 5G. That ecosystem is based upon digital transformation. And with all things around, that becomes accelerated and compressed. And the only way to match that, of course, is with security. One of the things that we do so well at Fortinet is our ASICs acceleration right, and the ability to have appliances in virtual formats. Factors that not only keep pace but go beyond and look around the curve and see where computing, where networking is going, and keeping pace with that, married, of course, with the FortiGuard threat intel, which gives context and awareness, right? So, and action. So, am I Goose or are you? are you from Maverick now? Okay. I'll be Maverick. Okay, cool. Uh-huh. Right. So,
0: we're
2: set. You we can be Goose. <laughs> <laughs> makes me Iceman, right? <laughs> I don't know who that makes me, but.
0: <laughs> so, Jonathan, you're really our digital transformation guy, and as digital transformation is becoming more widespread, yeah. how are you seeing? speed as a concern for these security teams.
3: Absolutely. So fourth industrial revolution means that if you're living in northern Alabama and you want that Mercedes 320 SLK with a silver exterior and a red leather interior, you will have it in four hours or less. It is what we used to think of as just-in-time inventory gone crazy, but it's Mm -hmm. about the optimal allocation of resources to meet business outcomes and quality of life results based upon data, right? Mm -hmm. And so everything is, is accelerated. So the speed at which you generate data, so in the next three to five years, we'll generate individually between three to five terabytes of data per person. As an industry, we're going to generate more data than ever before. More data will be generated in one day than an entire year. And so the speed at which the data is generated, the velocity that's generated, the variety that data is generated, will tax traditional security approaches. And so what we need to be cognizant in digital transformation is that speed is of the essence. When you think about 5G, and we'll talk about that as well. 5G will enable rapid amounts of computing power at the edge for things like smart cities, connected vehicles, edge-based computing, in which the computing will move from the cloud towards the edge. And in fact, at Fortinet, we believe that over the next 10 years, you'll see edge-based computing eclipsing cloud-based computing. Mm -hmm. And that speaks to the speed at which computing will be done on that edge, in those connected vehicles, in the industrial control systems, in those SCADA environments. And that requires a a very different approach towards security that blends into traditional appliances and virtualized form factors that speed up the processing capability, right? The ability to decrypt vast amounts of of encrypted data, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. Which is something that Fortinet does very well, but also to marry that with a tremendous amount of understanding and context so that you can take advantage of something that's broad, integrated, and automated. And that's how you you address the security challenges while meeting those business demands in, in digital transformation.
0: And Derek, from a business standpoint, organizations today really have to re-examine customary business models and procedures to drive mm-hmm. innovation and better business outcomes. From your perspective, how is the need for speed reshaping things on the business side of the house?
2: From the business side of the house. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's critical because if we look at what Jonathan was just as a segue talking about digital transformation, the attack surface is much, much larger now, mm-hmm. right? Because we're we're dealing with uh, IoT devices, You're, everything from you know printers to network attached storage to IP security cameras to all these different devices living in. Business networks. And these are the most vulnerable devices that, that we see today. You know, we, we have a zero day research team. We've, we've found over 720 of these holes in products. It's, it's like shooting a fish in a barrel when we're looking at these, these devices that live on business networks. I'm not talking about hardened Windows operating systems or Linux systems because those are much harder to find. I'm talking about the devices that are inherently trusted on a business network. So because you have these integrated devices living within a network and threats can laterally move between the, these devices at speed. From a business perspective, you have much more ground to cover, and you have to do it quickly. Once once you detect a device on a network that could be infected, you have to be able to contain that. You have to be able to quarantine it very quickly. The Ponemon Institute does a yearly cost of the data breach Mm -hmm. report, and the average time for containment is actually increasing. It's going from 30 days uh, in 2017 up to 57 days in 2018. That's a bad statistic stat, mm-hmm, definitely. right? Uh, and that is because people are struggling to be able to keep up with the adversary at speed from a business perspective. So again, when it comes to being able to tackle these threats from a business perspective, the answer isn't trying to, to, to increase your OPEX and have 30 people or 30 headcount in your, in your security operations center. A, there's not enough skilled professionals out there, mm-hmm. and B, that doesn't really scale with the threats. Mm-hmm. So relying on smart automation, relying on orchestration, SD-WAN, these mm-hmm. sorts of technologies combined with interoperability Technology like the security fabric that integrates devices and third-party partners like our Fabric Ready program, that is how businesses need to respond to these threats. It's at the machine layer starting with humans stacked on top. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a sanctuary model I, I refer to it as. So it's a half human, half half machine with the humans in the driver's seat. But really it comes down to the, uh, that, that tiered model with the machine layer driving everything at the bottom. It's the best, the best investment from a total cost of ownership perspective, too.
0: And Jonathan, you look like you really have something to add to that. What do you think about the business outcomes?
3: Yeah, I, I think one of the things I've seen a lot lately is that the CFO and the CSO are sitting together. Uh, and what I've seen consistently is now that the business outcome is, while well, that really matters. That traditional KPIs of, of true, false, positive rates mean time to detection, mean time to uh, mitigation, mean time to remediation, while are still important KPIs. Uh, ultimately, what, what really matters is that business outcome. Mm-hmm. If that business outcome isn't achieved, if that customer experience isn't delivered, the business doesn't succeed. At the end of the day, the role of the security organization is to enable the business. Yep. And, and at the heart of that is risk management. So the risk and speed all go together, and the, and you really can't manage risk unless you have the ability to apply security and utilize speed. So security that is disjointed you may have the best security technology but if you don't have the best intelligence capability mm-hmm. and you don't have the right people in place then you can't utilize speed then mm-hmm. speed becomes a bottleneck because yep. your systems are disjointed so what i've really have seen across the the 20 odd years in cyber is that unless you have something that's truly broad where you see in the gaps right and mm-hmm. speed will will demonstrate those gaps on those edges is where the vulnerabilities exist where lack of visibility lack of understanding lack of detection really happens it's really how apts like the NSA and the GRU yeah. and the FSB and, and all, all the all, all the others attack right. So I think. At the heart of speed is the ability to use something that's broad that's integrated and automated because if it's not automated you can't use speed no, no. <laughs> right? and, and
2: and just one quick point on that too the the criticality of speed is it literally we've all it's it's an arms race we've always mm-hmm. been in this arms race between uh, the bad guys and the good guys uh, if you lose that race and speed is that factor in that race mm-hmm. what's the cost of that Jonathan you're talking about risk uh, so going back to the Ponemon institution uh, Institute that cost of a data breach. Last year, uh, the US was leading average data breach about $7.5 million on average. Canada, unfortunately, Canada was number two at 4.5, followed by Germany, about 4.4 million. But that just goes to show some of that risk level if you lose that battle with speed. Oh, Canada. (laughs) Yes.
0: So, Jonathan, as the Verizon guy, the introduction of 5G networks brings a massive number of IoT devices and a gigantic increase of bandwidth over LTE. What are the security and speed considerations when it comes to 5G?
3: I tell you, you spend 16 years of your life at one company, and you're forever labeled with, with that one experience, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, the former Verizon guy. Now, <laughs> mm-hmm. 5G is really interesting in terms of the acceleration it provides. It's about 100 times faster than 4G LTE. And to give you an understanding of, of what that will enable is that you'll see a fundamental shift in computing. You'll see computing being done increasingly at the edge, closer to where the customers are, the the companies are. Why? Because you'll have things like augmented reality, enhanced gaming experiences, industrial applications that really depend upon a very high bandwidth intensive, highly reliable networking with low latency expectations. And that will enable that. And so at 100 times faster than 4G, the question becomes then, what type of security infrastructure will keep pace at that level. So you're generating data at a far faster rate, you're transmitting data at a far faster rate, you're correlating data at a faster rate, everything's accelerated. But when you really look at the security technologies out there, is that acceleration being matched? And Mm -hmm. Outside of Fortinet, I haven't seen that. But as you think about 5G and edge-based computing, we're talking now about things like vehicle fleets and autonomous vehicles. There'll be, there'll be 30 million autonomous vehicles in North America, including Canada. Yeah, that's part of North America, uh, by 2025. Number one, right? <laughs> and each of those things are essentially software-defined four-wheels driving. Mm-hmm. And each of those will have highly accelerated business processes, OT technology, IT technologies, and they'll all need to be secure. And the question is, unless you bring the right technology on board, and and various form factors, you have to keep pace with that. If you don't keep pace with that level of accelerated data generation and transmission and networking, then the promise of, of those technologies begins to fail. For example, in the United States, uh, in the last three years, we've enjoyed economic growth at about 3.6% in terms of GDP growth, mm-hmm. where non-farm and energy and pricing has not grown at 3.2%. The delta there about how we enjoyed tremendous economic growth with low inflationary pressures is productivity. Productivity that was driven by digital innovation. You know, fourth industrial revolution, digital transformation, mm-hmm. powered that economic growth, that productivity without inflationary pressures. Mm-hmm. That is unique and unprecedented in the in the the nature of how we've operated and at the heart of that productivity has been this this type of technology and at the forefront of securing that has been fortinet and i think as you think about accelerating networking to 100 times what it is today in 4g lte I think you have to consider the technology about how you go about securing that. That is something that most analysts have not even thought about. I'll say this. Our, our Federal Reserve has gotten it wrong. They did not understand why, because they're economists rather than technologists. Mm. They didn't understand the productivity gains that we had by mm. DX.
0: So we've talked about the need for speed as attacks increase in variety and velocity. But what about the low and slow attacks? Because unlike these brute force attacks, what kind of
1: threats do these slow and low threats pose there? Well, those I think are the most dangerous because they're mm-hmm. harder to find that needle in the haystack just because they are intended to be evasive. And I think that bad actors are actually motivated to find any way they can to be evaded detection. Mm-hmm. And one thing I think about Fortinet that's important to know is we had a 100% detection rate in evasion testing. And, um, you know, we'll find it. It's out there. We'll find it. Mm-hmm. We have focused technologies that are intended to discover these new tactics and techniques. And and leveraging even our automation and our, our artificial intelligence and machine learning really helps us have the machine do the work for us. Mm-hmm. At Fortinet, we see over 100 billion security events a day. And there's no possible way that any human analyst can analyze every one of those. Mm-hmm. And our, that's our business, right? We can't miss anything. So by letting the machine do the work for us, then we're able to focus on those harder problems, which is includes finding those low and slow and new tactics and techniques that are designed to evade. And Derek, yeah. And yeah.
2: they're
0: eager to talk about this
1: topic
2: uh, as well. Yeah. I, mean, I could go on for days about this, but I'll try to, to, to sum it up. So generally, when we look at attacks, there's, there's, there's two sides of the house. You have your brute force blanketed attacks, as I call them. This is cybercrime typically, right? Cybercrime is pegged at trillions of dollars as an industry, uh, as a whole. And it's definitely, it's the most volume we see. I mentioned that, you know, Jeanette mentioned 100 billion threat events a day. We got to comb through. Them. Absolutely, machine learning is, is key to that, to be able to pull that needle from, from the haystack. When we look at the low and slow attacks, uh, you're looking at very low indicators, very low volume uh, so typically, it's just you know one site that's being targeted. You're dealing in the world of zero days. If you've ever seen that movie on Stuxnet, of course, that's that, that's nine years ago now. But that's an example of a very low and slow attack that took over two years of development. And what what I'm seeing is that these low and slow attacks, the time to develop it. If you look at the Lockheed Martin cyber kill chain or the MITRE attack framework. Nothing happens with the wave of a magic wand. You have to do reconnaissance first after, and weaponization of an attack. Weaponization is creating that zero-day mm-hmm. attack. That can take some time. But because attackers are getting smarter, they're upping their games in, in terms of offensive speed. Mm-hmm. The development of a low and slow attack That took years before. Now we're seeing that happen in the amount of months to days. And Mm -hmm. in the future, that's going to be even much quicker. So that's one challenge that we're up against. Of course, because it's a targeted attack, typically, we're dealing in the world of things like business email compromise, spear phishing attacks. And, you know, being able to detect these is much harder being able to contain and respond to them are also much harder as well because, um, as Jeanette was saying, they employ advanced evasion techniques. Going back to the Ponemon Institute, unfortunately, the the dwell time, so they they look at dwell time every year, that has been decreasing, but not nearly in in a satisfactory range. Mm -hmm. In 2017, is the average time to just detect that a threat was sitting on your network. It lived on your network, enjoying... Uh, you know, <laughs> eaten off your land mm-hmm. for 201 days in, in, mm-hmm. in 2017. That, that reduced to, to 191 days in 2018. But that is still way too long, obviously, mm-hmm. right?
1: A lot of, so, lot of damage can be done. In a, that lot time. Oh, yeah. can a lot be of damage so, can be done.
2: So that, that is, you know, one of the, the largest issues that poses, of course, on the containment side, when you're dealing with an adversary that is doing reconnaissance on you and has developed a weapon specifically crafted for you, it's going to be much harder in an incident response perspective perspective. perspective as well. So that's another danger that these threats pose.
3: So when you look at speed and, and types of attacks, there, there's certainly the brute force attacks, there's certainly the, the smash and grabs in terms of, of malware, and the ability to quickly automate and, and detect that is, is key. But when you look at insider threats and, and really advanced uh, persistent threat actors, yeah. the key word is persistence. And in many cases, it's, it's a slow progression of events and incidents over time, which in a short interval really don't mean much, rather you know, anonymous, right? But in the long term, the ability to see patterns of behavior that are anomalous and determine whether it's malicious or not becomes key. I, I always hearken back to Rob Joyce, who led tailored access operations at, at the NSA in September of 2016. He gave a speech in where he said, look, the way we work at TAU is we look at the 3% of, quote, esoteric things that come out in a vulnerability scan, the 3% of things in networks, because the difference between an advanced persistent threat actor and the operators, the operator knows what should be operating there in that environment. The APT knows what is actually operating. And mm-hmm. over time, he'll tell you that that his counterparts and, and all parts of the intelligence community, they will hover over those 3% of – esoteric things and wait for you to open the back door so that the vendor can come in and do their work. And while they're doing that, that's when the persistent threat actor acts. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to look at speed over a very long period of time and determine that small gap, that small interval where they do execute the attack, where they go in and establish their persistence is key. So managing speed having visibility at speed and scales, what, what mm-hmm. our CISO always talks about, right? Yep, and absolutely. the ability to detect persistent efforts is key. That's what my thoughts were there. Yeah.
1: You know, I think you brought up a good point, too, about insider threats, yeah. because they're just as equally important as the low and slow, mm. because they the need for speed there is critical, because the insider... Well, we recently commissioned a survey, we have a CISO survey, and 32% of CISOs said that insider threats were a problem and 16% of the insider threats were negligent and 16% were intentional and an insider has access to the keys to the kingdom and they know who does what, where the data is stored, where the goods are. And so detecting that anomalous behavior internally is super critical. Mm -hmm. That's where a tool like Ford Insight or UEBA tool comes in really handy because Mm -hmm. it, it has the ability to flag Anomalous behavior. And
2: our uh, 40 Deceptor as well. That's and great 40 Deceptor, to, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Tricking people on the inside.
1: Yeah. Which goes to show that this is a complex problem overall, mm-hmm. and we need multiple types of technologies in order to and solutions uh, yeah yeah what yeah. cyber's
3: complex really <laughs> there, there, there's no ronco plug-and-play firewall exactly. I, I thought you could just plug Child's in a device play. and it would prevent all attacks right oh i'm sorry it would prevent only successful attacks we need an
0: easy button like staples <laughs> you
3: know another
1: thing i wanted to mention too was derek you talked about um zero days and yep. the vulnerabilities. Recently, there was information presented that showed vendors had detected 323 zero days against Microsoft products. Well, Microsoft products, particularly operating system, you know, affects everybody, Mm -hmm. right? So the need for speed for patching is super, Mm. super critical. Yeah. And what we're seeing in our own stats here at Fortinet is that we're seeing customers impacted with the same threats over and over mm-hmm. because they're not patching. And, in fact, we're still seeing detections for things that are 10 years old. And, like, and, and, and this
2: is going to become much more complex in the world of 5G
1: as yes, well. Yes, it is.
2: Absolutely. Digital transformation of 5G. We've been talking about this for a while, but the uh, the patch management issue, those are the devices that are inherently much more slower to patch. They don't have update mechanisms. And so, you know, having layered security is really important because you're not always going to have edge security. We're moving towards that direction, but...
3: That's one of the biggest glaring things I've seen. I mean, why not have a compensating control in the form of a next-generation firewall Mm. in those key zones that would detect the signatures
2: for known vulnerabilities, right? Hello, Equifax. Virtual patches, (laughs) man. Patchy struts. So so, so that's actually a strategy we have, right? That's why we're doing our zero-day research because we're actually plugging these holes. We're not waiting for the vendors to patch. Uh, We're doing the intel and the research so we can actually roll out via intrusion prevention a virtual patch to protect those. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's
1: definitely an advantage, isn't it? Yeah. You know, another thing that we forget and you touched on both of you touch on fishing is education and awareness. Because targeted fishing attacks um timely
2: education. Timely education being yeah. on the theme of speed, yeah. yeah.
1: And and when you see a new tactic or technique yeah. being deployed, you know, whether it's fishing or spear fishing, get that information out mm-hmm. and distribute it so people know what to look for. Mm-hmm. I think we need to be better at timely education. Mhm. Absolutely.
0: So the need for speed is obviously very important from the blue team or the defensive side of the house. Um, But what can one of you tell me about the red team? And how important does the need for speed become in terms of launching an? A successful attack,
2: Derek. Maybe you could take this on. Sure. Yeah. So we always uh, in FortiGuard Labs. We always like to think like the attacker mm-hmm. it takes one to know. Think like a criminal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. yeah. Absolutely. Then you can start creating viable strategy and solutions around that. So a couple of things. First of all, the need for speed in terms of launching a successful attack. The reality today is that, unfortunately, because of Issues that we've already talked about, patch management issues because of a growing and porous attack surface because of not integrated technology. Attackers are still enjoying the low-hanging fruit. They're mm-hmm. still enjoying the path of least resistance. So when it comes to do they need to actually be in and out of a network, I talked about the 190-day dwell time. The reality is they don't really. I mean, mm-hmm. they can still enjoy that success. They can be on the network and get more and more wealthy off your uh, off your cur- your digital currency, your data, right? We often see that in in the terms, you know, in forms of things like uh, crypto jackers, mm-hmm. doing crypto mining while you're doing your email on your computer. But the reality is that they're still, you know, they're greedy. So what we're actually seeing advances in terms of the adversary when it comes to how quickly they're actually launching their attacks. So what I'm seeing is things like uh, offensive automation. It always starts with automation first. We've seen attack toolkit. So I was talking about that reconnaissance and weaponization phase in terms of knowing your targets and then launching an attack, getting into a network moving laterally in that network that used to be, you know, in the 1990s, we called them script kiddies right? <laughs> Someone in their basement, uh, logging in to, to a terminal, trying to find out something about where, where that IP address is, getting into the terminal, trying to take some data, get out. That could take a very long time. Now that's being replaced with tools. So automation tools, toolkits, autosploit's a good example of this that uh, uses a uh, showdown to download a list of vulnerable targets and uh, enterprise API key. So this is DevOps on the offensive side that we're seeing to be able to use that key and replace all the cycles that a human would do. So basically what they're doing is taking the human out of the loop so that what I call the TTB, we talked about the dwell time, uh, we talked about the containment time on the adversary side of the house, it's the TTB, which is a time to breach mm-hmm. in and out of a network that is actually shrinking because of offensive automation. And if you follow our uh, threat predictions, um, that is going to be eventually replaced with machine learning, Mm -hmm. artificial intelligence. It comes into what I I refer to as a flash war. That's the the need for speed there. Like an attack can be over in the blink of an eye. We're literally going to be going into into the realm of seconds, if not into uh, milliseconds. Um, you know, recently I watched that movie on the Hummingbird Project, which was uh, the race to get a fiber connection from Kansas to New York to be able to do a 16-millisecond round-trip time for uh, mm-hmm. to beat the stock exchange. It's literally mm-hmm. the same thing when it comes to attacks. That's what the attackers are trying to do, to mm-hmm. beat that defensive speed.
0: Jenna, Jonathan, do you want to add anything to that?
3: Yeah, I, I think one of the things we're going to have to do is, is rethink the approach around, around red teams and, and the period of time in which they have to act. So traditionally, red teamers... Employing pen testers are employed once a year. Sometimes other companies more than once a year. But it's a short window. And I, unfortunately, APTs, Persistent Threat Actors, don't operate for 90 days at a time. They're, they're, they're persistent. Mm-hmm. And so... Everything Derek said is, is, is spot on. Acceleration, agility, innovation, the same things are on this side of the house will be applied by the threat actors. Uh, but only, not only to, to look at defenses, but look at code and look at the, how code is developed. It's, it's, it's highly distributed. And the ability to use AI and machine learning to, to examine code, to look at vulnerabilities. Right now, there's about, for every thousand line of code, there's 25 bugs. <laughs> there. And then that's just traditional waterfall, right? Yeah. As you go into DevOps and distributed code writing, the number of vulnerabilities uh, that will be exposed at, it will be extraordinary at a fast rate. The, the essence in in red teamers will be, you know, given that four percent of all employees will open up an illegitimate email, for instance. So, I have a thousand employees, that's forty. There'll be so many vectors. They'll use AI, they'll use machine learning, they'll use automated attack, all types of threat Agile vectors, development, right? too. We're seeing yeah. Yeah. In, in that short time. And uh, they'll invariably find a way in. And so I think uh, the question moving forward when it comes to pen testing and red teamers is going to be how do you understand out of all of the vulnerabilities that will be exploited, which ones that you need to remediate or mitigate up front? That, that's going to be the biggest challenge for, for the folks on the white hat side of the house. Yeah. It's going to be so all of these alarms are going off. Which ones am I going to address first? Yeah. Yeah. Especially
1: yeah. with the expanding tax surface, right? What is most enticing right. to mm-hmm. the bad actor? And if you continue right. to look at, yeah. a, at
3: a, a report from the red team, it's like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm always in. There's <laughs> yeah. yeah. always vulnerability right? somewhere. You're no, you're no stopping me. right <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And in terms of IOCs or indicators of compromise, I mean, how does speed factor in when it comes to sharing IOCs and creating playbooks on adversary campaigns?
1: Oh, my goodness. Playbooks are so critical. And, you know, we uh, have been publishing several and we continue this focus. But, you know, it's really important to understand that attacks across the attack framework. Mm-hmm. It's going to allow you to put correct and timely defensive measures mm-hmm. in place and that's more important than necessary. I think it's really important that the industry collaborates better. You know, Fortinet was a co-founder of the Cyber Threat Alliance mm-hmm. where we work with fierce competitors mm-hmm. to share information because mm-hmm. what separates us not is not the data. Our, it's our technologies. Customers buy for our technologies. We should be sharing the data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it helps complete that end-to-end story of what that adversary is actually really doing. And it allows us to create these um, really proficient playbooks that really help.
2: Yeah, and the playbooks. So this is what is being referred to in the industry as the pyramid of pain.
0: Oh,
2: yeah. And the pyramid of pain. Sounds reversi- like a CrossFit term. Yeah. <laughs> if you can, yeah. If you can think of, imagine a pyramid and different layers within that pyramid. At the bottom layer, thinking from an attacker's point of view, our strategy is always to make it more expensive for cyber criminals to operate. Yeah. So how, how do you do this? This is a pyramid of pain model. At the bottom, it's very cheap. You're dealing with IP addresses, URLs. These are very, very cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy for an attacker to, to morph and shift and hop to another IP address. So from a, a defender's point of view, it's a pain. It's a big pain mm-hmm. at the bottom to be able to defend against that because it's perishable. And so in terms of sharing IOCs, if I if I call you up and say, hey, Alexa, I found this bad, I found this bad IP address. You should go to your firewall and block it. It's too late, Mm -hmm. it's way too late. They've already changed. It's so cheap and easy for them to change it. So from a defender's standpoint, it doesn't really make sense to focus on that. So it's perishable. There's actually a TTL, a time to live in terms of IOC is how we change it. Now, if I were to call you up at the top layer of that pyramid, it's it's information about who these attackers are, where they live, mm-hmm. the tools and weapons that they're using to launch an attack. That's very painful for them to actually change. Mm-hmm. So if we expose and uncover that, which we're doing in the playbooks, it makes it much more expensive for them to be able to shift, to change their house, right? To change uh, where, where they're living. Again, by, by that same notion, if I were to call you up and say, hey, Alexa, I found this APT group. They're using the zero-day weapon. Here's the recommendations for it. Here's your your action plan, remediation. It's not too late at that point. I'm sure I would know
0: just what to do at that point. (laughs) Absolutely. But
2: that's the idea, right? It's it's, it's much more expensive at that top layer for them to change it. So that's the strategy. We're always trying to be very, very quick on the bottom. Uh, So in in terms of importance, the Cyber Threat Alliance, Jeanette mentions, we've created a real-time platform. We used to, in 2004, when I joined in FortiGuard Labs, we, we only had to do antivirus updates twice a day because that's all it took. Really? Now we're doing it every hour, web filtering, and pushing out every five minutes to 400,000 customers globally. We've built a robust network to do that. The Cyber Threat Alliance, we've uh, co-developed a Mm real-time sharing platform because we need real-time data on it.
1: You know, when I started in cybersecurity, I was on the customer side. We would get our updates, our signature updates on a a five-and-a-quarter-inch floppy, five-and-a-half-inch floppy, (laughs) mailed to us in the snail mail. Yeah, once a month. Mm -hmm. I mean, times have changed. Absolutely. I mean, that was well over twenty-five years ago. So
2: <laughs> the first ransom. Here's a fun fact too: in 1989, the first ransomware came mm-hmm. on a three and a half inch floppy disk yeah. as well. <laughs> oh, wow! The more
1: you know, the better yeah. position you are. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Jonathan, is there anything you want to add? Yeah,
3: there? I, I think it all goes back to the speed. That's not enabled; it becomes useless. I think speed is key, and so that you can understand and have visibility about what's connected to your network or what's attempting to connect to your network. You need to have speed in terms of integrating the responses detection capabilities across a very broad ecosystem from that IoT, OT edge into Mm -hmm. the enterprise data network, data center network, into public clouds. And finally, unless that is automated, you can't take advantage of speed. You may have great visibility. You've detected anonymous behavior. You've detected these IOCs. You've detected all these things happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you can't enable a response in a timely fashion, and that becomes key, I think five years ago on average, the, the mean time between the detonation of malware to the point of material damage was, was about 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. In the last three years, it's gone down to about five minutes. And then in the last year, the, 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 the data coming out of, out of FortiGuard Labs, out of SecureWorks, out of Verizon, out of all the reports suggested about a third of all the data breaches now and the attacks that, that cause material damage are occurring in the first three minutes. And so mm-hmm. that's the it's interval crazy. that we're, we're dealing with, right? So unless mm-hmm. it's, it's really integrated, unless it's automated in that response, there's no way to keep pace with it. And so I, I think speed's essential, but it, it has to work together with all the other elements in a holistic yeah. fashion. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, and, you're hitting a brick wall faster. Well, and breaches, <laughs> yeah, right. breaches are the new
1: normal, right? Which is v- very sad. In fact, I saw a stat from the breach level index that showed six million records are lost or stolen every single day Incredible. from breaches. And the timeliness is really important because uh, detecting and containing certainly can happen quickly, mm-hmm. but the cleanup. And discovering how did they get in and what did they take and how can we recover from what they take can just take a huge amount of time and cost.
0: Absolutely. And as we wrap up our time today, guys, what are some of your final thoughts about the need for speed and security?
2: Uh, So I think just summing up, you know, we, we touched on a lot of the points. Integration being so you know, I talked about IOCs being perishable and being able to be shared in real time, that's absolutely important. But you need a platform to be able to deal with that uh, in terms of intelligence. You can't rely on these what I call old school sims, right? Mm-hmm. Those, those have gone the way of the dinosaur. You need truly intelligent platforms that can consume this data. We're talking about technologies like sticks version 2, you need cutting edge support for that to be able to do what the language that we're speaking right to be able to consume that to be able to create escalation paths and to be able to take action and that really is what it comes down to is is the actionable uh, intelligence side of the house because as Jonathan was saying if you just have a whole bunch of data it's just noise Um, it's hard Mm -hmm. to prioritize and respond to so being able to handle that I think at a machine layer for the day to day tasks is important. And then have escalations to some trained experts in your operations center to be able to uh, deal with the more tougher problems Mm -hmm. that are hitting your networks, I think is important.
1: Yeah, well, leveraging tools like UEBA, which actually flag Mm -hmm. what the SOCs should be focusing on, really improves everybody's experience. Yeah.
3: So I say automation, 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 because as you look at 5G, and it's 100 times faster than 4G, and you've got to be able to provide a technology platform and capability that matches that level of acceleration. Because if it doesn't match the acceleration in the business process and Mm -hmm. the business outcome, it's irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I I would say, yeah, the ability to ingest intelligence, timely intelligence, the ability to detect and respond, and to match the, the business outcome, right? I think it's going to be a key thing to watch for. Next three to five years, watch for the explosive growth in edge-based computing and see how that transition, what that means for the marketplace. And if I'm an operator, I need to look at it from a technology perspective and who's going to be with me as that change happens. And what technology am I going to put in place today that's going to stay pace with that level of accelerated growth in, in both the complexity, the variety, and the velocity
2: of the data and, and, and the threat environment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that arms race. I mean, with 5G coming, you know, we talked about 100 billion threat events today, yeah. 10, 10 million uh, hacking attempts a minute. That's, that's just going to be exponential with the rise of yeah. 5G. So it comes to that arms race, yeah. Absolutely, an arms mm-hmm. race. That's why Top Gun 2 is coming out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I like Tom Cruise that. is a little slower today,
3: though. <laughs> <laughs> A little older, <laughs> just a little. I think uh,
1: one of the biggest challenges, obviously, is IoT devices. Mm-hmm. As we look to make our lives more convenient, we give up privacy and we we put in more vulnerabilities in our lives, right? And more attack surface. And I think that we need, as an industry, to be focusing more on the manufacturers of these devices to build security in appropriately from the ground up, so that we're not exposing ourselves. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, thank you everyone for joining me today and for our listeners out there. I'm Alexa Rowe, and stay tuned for our next security roundtable and our next installment of FortiCast, the podcast about Fortinet technology. Thank you.
3: You can find information about FortiCast on our website, forticast.fortinet.com. This episode was edited by Michael Cornwall. Our executive producer is Darren Turnbull. Our music is from bensound.com. You can listen and subscribe to FortyCast in Apple Podcast or any other podcast app. If you have any questions, our email is fortycast at fortinet.com.